You're listening to the iZombie Podcast. This is Robin, and today we're talking to writer Sara Sayadi, writer of this week's episode, Spanking the Zombie, as well as season two's The Hurt Stalker. Welcome to the show, Sara. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Uh, now, if I ask you anything you don't want to answer, just yell out climate change, okay? <laughs> I will, definitely. Unless, you know, do you, have, do you have a different safe word or words? <laughs> no, I think climate change is a, I think it's a really good safe word, actually, especially considering Johnny Frost was a weatherman. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> okay, so um, Spanking the Zombie was a really popular episode that generated a lot of emotions. How have you liked the reaction to it? It's been really great to see. I mean, it's always nice to know that the things that we react to in the room are then the things that the audience reacts to. So it's mm -hmm. been really great to see how invested people are in Major and Liv's relationship. And, um, you know, we were hoping that we would get some tears from those final scenes, and it sounded like we accomplished that. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah that was a win. <laughs> Waterfalls of tears, yeah, in some cases. <laughs> okay, maybe just me. <laughs> Um, all right. So speaking of Major and Liv, I mean, we did talk about on the podcast that photo that you have of you in the writer's room holding this sign at the end of season two that says Major and Liv have zombie sex. Um, to me, like Liv and Major are OTP. You know what OTP is, right? Um, tell me again. The one true pairing. Oh, no, I've never heard that before. It's like I love fandom that. speak. <laughs> okay. Well, like one true pairing is like the couple that you want to see that that has to happen by the end of the show. Uh, how do you feel about Liv and Major as a couple? Well, I clearly love them together. <laughs> um, I, I think they're great. I mean, I always think it's really nice when we get to have reminders of their relationship because when the pilot kicked off, they were engaged, they were very yeah. much in love, and so we never really got to see them fall in love with each other. And so anytime there's moments where they're reminiscing or we um, hear about what their life was like before Liv got turned into a zombie, I always think it's like a nice reminder to the fans of why the two of them are really meant to be together. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was sort of an advantage that her, she had in her relationship with Lowell in season one is that we got to see that relationship progress. Um, yeah. Same goes for Drake. Um, so yeah, I think anytime they could have been, Major and Liv have kind of been in the friend zone for a while. So I feel like anytime that we can uh, play the romance. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of that in the writer's room um, and the running joke. So one of the things that we usually do at some point in the season, usually halfway through, is we kind of come up with what are the big beats that we want to hit um, before the finale. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the stuff ends up falling to the wayside because we either don't have room for it and uh, major and live zombie sex was something that we had on the board for season two and it just kept feeling like it was either too soon or we weren't building to it appropriately enough and it kept getting kind of moved out of episodes and the yeah. running joke is that I kept like adding it back in <laughs> Rob was in the room so we'd, like, look at the board and he'd see major and live have zombie sex in an act where it was completely not motivated at all and then it would get pulled off again yeah um so it was definitely something that I was really excited about. And um, 
it was sort of by coincidence that I got to write the episode where they did end up having sex, or I was very excited um, when I learned that that was the one I'd be writing. <laughs> yeah, because the, the timing has been really odd. I mean, the, you know, the whole Drake getting kidnapped. Getting, Drake was kidnapped when, you know, uh, uh, Major was turned into a zombie when it was possible for them to have sex. And then, you know, then Drake gets killed by Liv. So that's kind of a mood killer. You know? Yeah, exactly. We needed to give her a little bit of time to process all of that. And it would have seemed, like you said, really bad timing if she's sleeping with Major when she doesn't know where Drake is or what's happened to him. So this felt like it was finally the time. Yeah. And I've been a, I've been a big fan of that couple from the beginning. I mean, ever since the, uh, the 16 candles reveal at the beginning of the pilot. Yeah. I love that line. It's so great. Um, and, and, you know, it gave me some hope in the last episode where, uh, major is like watching live dance with Justin and we're like wondering what's going through his mind there. And it was just as I hope that he was, he was going to, he's just thinking I'm going to miss this girl so much, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, those final scenes were really emotional to write and they were very emotional to watch too. And they still, I mean, I've seen the episode myself a few times now and they still kind of make me tear up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, okay. So like that for the first part, but, but at, at night, so every single line in that, that part, I mean, the whole major, I mean, I almost want to like tear apart every single part with you. <laughs> <laughs> so the, so the major wanting a new name, uh, I actually incorrectly mentioned on the podcast that Gern Blanston is Steve Martin's real <laughs> name. And, and it, it was, I guess it's something that he made up, right? Yeah, it's sort of a bit that he did, um, and that's all Rob Thomas. So oh, right. um, it was it was a bit that Steve Martin did, um, claiming that he changed his name to Steve Martin from Gurren Blanston. <laughs> and so actually in season two, when we were first talking about the character of Drake in the room, we didn't have a name for him yet, so Gurren Blanston was sort of like a jokey placeholder name. Uh-huh. Um, so it was a funny thing to us in the writer's room, and then something that just, it was, sort of perfect for that moment <laughs> to reference it first hearing that name i was i immediately was like okay so what basketball player is that named <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know exactly um so then we get into the, like the story of their first kiss and those lines like did you get to make that up on your own or was that something you kind of collaborated on i did get to make that stuff up which mm-hmm. was a, a really a lot of fun to think like okay what would their first kiss have been like and to me, I always find something that's really charming or attractive about the opposite sex as somebody that you feel like instantly comfortable around. And yeah. so that was something that I wanted to get across with Major is that he's that guy that anyone who meets him feels like they've known him for years because mm-hmm. he just is that kind and accessible. Um, and so I thought that that was a fun detail, like the idea that she was so comfortable around him that she didn't have to. And Liv doesn't strike me as the type of person that would like be super concerned with like putting on a ton of makeup or wearing something yeah. sexy to hang out with major. Um, so I just like the idea that their relationship started off on a place that was very easy and comfortable. Cause I always feel like those tend to be the nicest relationships. And I love how you, you know, major voices, what his side of it was, was that he showed up and sees this and is like, Oh, this girl's definitely not into me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, all right. So I think the first tears started falling when he says the silver lining is you'll knock me off my feet all over again. Um, oh yeah. That's a 
that line gets to me sometimes do i don't know but um yeah yeah it's really i i mean i was thinking about that though is like he's sort of going to get to meet her all over again. And what would that be like? And so that's kind of what inspired that. But I have to say, Robert Buckley completely nailed it. Um, (laughs) Just the way that he says it. And it's, yeah, it gets me. And it's, it's right around here when Pearl Jam's Just Breathe starts. So you tweeted out that you got to actually choose that song. How did you talk Rob Thomas into that? (laughs) I was really lucky. Um, because he's such a music buff and he, um, yeah, I mean, his knowledge of music is, you know, no one can really compete with it. Um, and I think music plays such an important role on the show. Um, so we actually, um, write outlines before we write the script. So the outlines are, um, just for your listeners, I'm sure you know, but they're like 20 to 25 page documents that describe what's going to happen in every scene. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really for us uh, and for the network and the studio to give us notes before we start writing the script. And so I put it in the outline as a music cue. And I remember, I think in parentheses, I even wrote like just a suggestion. (laughs) Um, It was just a song that I really liked and that I thought was really perfect for what was happening in the episode and in those scenes. Um, and I, I assumed that like, it's never going to make it. Like he's, he's probably already got a song in mind, which is of course, totally understandable because it's his show. So I wouldn't expect anything less, but Rob is like extremely collaborative and lets us make those kinds of suggestions in the room and in scripts. But I kind of thought, okay, fingers crossed. Let's see what he thinks. And, um, he did say to me, he's like, you know, when I saw that, I was a little concerned because he admitted that he's not the biggest Pearl Jam fan. And then he's like, but then I listened to it, and it's actually kind of perfect. Yeah. Um, and so it just, and we didn't know, I mean, if we would be able to get the rights to the song. So I kept sort of waiting for it to go away. Um, I was, like, surprised when it stayed in the outline. I was surprised <laughs> when it stayed in the script. And I kept thinking, okay, but by the time we, like, screen the episode, I'm sure they'll have to replace it because um, we weren't able to secure the rights. And even when it aired um, this week, I was like, maybe it's not in there anymore. I don't know. <laughs> and I was happy to see that it made it all the way through. That's great. And like, like the, the lyrics, they just work so well. They really do. <laughs> like every single line. And, you know, of course, right at the end where like, he's just like, hold me till I die. Meet you on the other side. I was like, sh- just shivers. I was just, re- I just rewatched the episode actually before I called you. And <gasps> Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah, it's funny because the, the situation is that he's a dying zombie that needs to get a cure that's going to wipe away his memory. So who would have known that there would be a song that would still be perfect for all of that? <laughs> yes. So what was it like knowing that you pretty much have to put together iZombie's first, uh, quote-unquote, assisted suicide? <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, this is just like could be the death of major as a personality. Yeah. We talked about that actually a lot in the room too, because I remember in the beginning of the season, we knew that that was something that was probably going to have to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. And, um, there was a lot of talk of, is it something, because it's a huge decision to decide to do something that's going to wipe away your memory. So there was a lot of talk of, is it something that he doesn't want to have happen to him that either Ravi or Liv does without his consent? Oh, and that then, would have been... of course, Major would be, yeah, which would have, 
you know, that has a lot of dramatic appeal. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately we got to a place where it felt like we didn't want it to be a repeat of what happened at the end of season one, right, where, she, exactly. where he gets angry at Liv for turning him into a zombie mm-hmm. to save him. Um, and so it just felt like maybe, I mean, it would be a different emotional angle, but maybe it would be just as emotional if he's also made the decision that this is something that needs to happen rather than having to... Um, you know, first of all, it's going to wipe away his memory. So do we even really get to play the, how could you do this to me without my consent for very long? Um, But I think it just felt like there would be something even more emotional about him agreeing to this and all of them knowing what's coming together. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I can't imagine like this, this has been a long time coming. I mean, I honestly, it's almost since the end of the last season that we've been kind of kicking the ball down the, down the, uh, the pike, just, what are we, what's going to happen with major next, you know, especially after he gets yeah. the, the cure, you know, and he starts getting well, sick. Well, I love so. listening to all of your guys' theories. So <laughs> we'll see if any of them are correct. I can't I, say anything. I know. I was going to say, uh, you might, you might start screaming climate change. If I, uh, start asking you like, <laughs> is major going to go evil or is, is Blaine going to get the juice or, you know, any of that stuff. So trying to be no, delicate I can't about say anything. I climate know. change, climate change. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, yeah. How about, uh, Robbie's moment by himself that the tears welling up in his eyes and, you know, uh, you said you were there to watch that being filmed. Yeah. We get to be there for, um, the writers get to be there for two days of production. So I was Mm -hmm. lucky that those scenes, all those last scenes I was there for. Um, yeah. And I mean, it took us, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes to film that scene and, he, every time it was just, he doesn't have anything to say. It's all just written on his face. You know, the music isn't playing on set, right, so yeah. it's silent. Um, and it was still... He's just watching him silently welling up. Yeah, he's yeah. such a good actor. I mean, it's Raul, like, obviously has such great comedic timing, um, and he's really good at the emotional stuff, too. But I think you can always tell how good of an actor a person is when they don't even have any lines, and you completely know exactly how they're feeling. So... Yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's great. He mm-hmm. did such a great job. And I, I got an opportunity to tell him, like, you made me cry. <laughs> you didn't have to say anything. <laughs> and were you there for the uh, the, the very last, I'm going to miss you guys, we're not going anywhere scene? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All those scenes, <sighs> um, the, the scene of Major and Liv and the scene of the three of them at the end were all filmed on the same day. Um, yeah, they were all... Uh, how'd you keep it together? <laughs> I didn't. I was pregnant, so I was also probably extra hormonal. It was a terrible combination. Um, but it was just exciting to see that, um, you know, you always imagine how the scenes are going to play out in your head. And it was great to see that they, like, surpassed all of my expectations. And uh, yeah. a lot of that is uh, obviously so much of that goes to the actors and also Tessa Blake, who directed the episode. Um, and I just got to be there to observe. So it was, it was really, I was really grateful to be there for those scenes in particular, because those were the ones that I was really excited about. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't really miss with this episode. And I have to say like so much of it, so much of what you talked about and so much of what you loved is all Rob Thomas and Diana Jerry, right? And I just feel smart and talented by association. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when we screen the episode together, Rob said, you know, you start out with action, you make them laugh throughout, and then make them cry at the end. And it was sort of like the perfect 
combination of things. So I was just lucky to be a part of it. It was amazing. And yeah, especially like the case ending and then there's 10 minutes left in the episode and you're like, Oh, what's going to happen now? So, um, I, I, yeah. And something you guys said in, um, the podcast on the episode that wasn't something that had occurred to me as I've been working on the show the last couple seasons, but, um, and this is also a compliment to the editors, but the way that the tone is able to shift so abruptly sometimes, it still works. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something I've never really put my finger on. But um, hearing you guys talk about that, I'm like, that's actually a really good point with our show because there's a lot of things that are very dark and very serious and then a lot of things that are extremely comedic. So um, it's not easy to jump between those, those various emotions. But I think... Um, in this episode and certainly in other episodes, it's, it's worked out really well. Did you uh, ever have any thought about maybe blending um, the dominatrix brain into this last scene a little bit? Like perhaps, uh, you know, they start kissing and then suddenly she pushes his hand to the bedpost, <laughs> you know, starts tying it up. We did talk about that as far as um, how would she still be on the brain yeah. or like even, and would it would it be maybe what she's wearing? Would she still be dressed the way that she was dressed throughout the whole episode? Um, and like, would there be any conversation about that? And I think ultimately, we just felt like um, we and, and sometimes we reference that she's coming off the brain, and this time we didn't even reference it, and it mm-hmm. just felt like let's just stay with the with exactly what's happening in the scene and stay with the emotions of the scene and not have to reference um, the brain at all. And I. Think, I mean, I don't know how you felt about it, but I think it, it was okay. I think it might oh, have absolutely. taken you out of it a little bit. Yeah, I didn't want to laugh during that scene, like unless, unless it's kind of like laughing along with Liv and Major, like maybe you know, joking amongst themselves about the Gurn Blanston thing. Yeah, that was just kind of a sweet laugh. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. So that's one one of the things that I think is really um, fun for us is that we can use the brain when we need it. And then I think we've um, in the past done a good job of not using it when it feels like it's going to take away from other things that are happening in the scene. I think the brain is always great when it's enhancing what's happening already. Um, but in places where it feels like it's not as necessary, um, we, we can take it away essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, since you're talking about the brain, let's, let's talk about the uh, blue brain juice, which is kind of introduced in this episode, can you kind of talk about where this idea might have come from? It's almost like Max Rager for visions, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, I don't know exactly where the idea came from, um, but I think that every season we're always looking for new things to add to the mythology and yeah. sort of, you know, what can we do that we haven't done yet? Um, and we always want to be able to make Robbie as active as possible, too. And since we can't always have him just continuously working on a cure it felt like oh here's something different that he could be doing um and that maybe who knows what if it's going to have the intended effect but it's going to have some sort of an effect and it could be something that we will continue to see throughout the season so this won't be the last time you'll see juice brains oh that's cool yeah you'll see more of it and I think I said it in my tweets too, but we did because we were doing blue juice brain in this episode we really wanted to have something worthy of those kinds of visions that were going to be a little bit clearer and a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few different ideas that went around. Um, and then Dominatrix Brain was pitched. <laughs> and that just sort of felt like a really fun one to get to have those kinds of visions with. Um, 
so that's ultimately like why we landed on dominatrix brain for this episode <laughs> so what was the how was the, the research into this dominatrix brain it, <laughs> how, how much it fun was, was that <laughs> i mean i'm kind of a prude so it was very <laughs> eye-opening i will say yeah. um and there's definitely a lot of things that i researched that we would have never been able to get away with um <laughs> actually doing um but we decided and i mean with a lot of different brains there's various personalities that you can play with it and so we decided that we weren't going to make this as sexual as it could be and more that she was she's 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 bossy she can um sort of direct things the way that she wants to direct them she is somebody that's very confident and gets the sort of kick out of domineering other people, especially in the scenes with Jimmy. Yeah. Um, but that we weren't going to necessarily play it like she was sex on a stick. Um, and so I think that it was that, that allowed us to play a lot of the comedy too. Um, and then it also helps because there's definitely some things that uh, like I heard you guys reference the ball gag in the podcast. <laughs> and yeah. Actually in that scene, where her and Clive are in the dungeon and she looks at the mask and the mask triggers the vision. Initially, it was supposed to be a ball gag oh, wow. that she finds and yeah. that's what triggers the vision. Yeah. Um, but that was something that broadcast standards and practices were like, no ball gags. Oh, um, so there were wow. things like that that we had to write around or lose along the way. Um, and so I think going with that side of the brain helped us too in terms of what we were able to get away with and what we couldn't get away with. Yeah, my co-host Steph wanted me to ask you about what if you had to like take things out for standards and practices, or or even just like the network, or or if you wanted it to be a little more edgy than it was supposed to be. I think we probably would have pushed the envelope a little bit more <laughs> if we could have. Um, yeah. But I think it all. I mean, a lot of the times when you get a note, you think, "Oh man, this really screws things up, and it's not going to work at all." And then you end up writing around the note, and sometimes what you end up with is even better. Um, but they told us, I think, that he couldn't be in a gimp suit. Um, so we had to just put him in, like, all leather. But you kind of watch it, and you're like, well, it looks like a gimp suit anyway. So yeah. I guess that worked out. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there was a couple things that they were definitely concerned about. But I think, you know, we still got away with a lot. Um, I, my favorite, I, I think Johnny Frost in that French made outfit. <laughs> yes. You can't really go wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I wonder if it, like it's 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 better to pl when it's played for comedy than like if it's you know sexual that that's when the maybe the networks networks crack down on it or standards of practices. Yeah, I think so, and I think that was definitely a couple of the um, notes that I was given on strip from Rob too. Where like, mm, this feels like it's veering a little bit too like sexual, and that's not really the direction that we're going in. Right. Um, so I think a lot of the times it just. You kind of have to go one way to decide to go the other way. Um, but, yeah, I think it was fun to have her just be that very bitchy, confident um, <laughs> character. And Rose played it so well. I mean, she did such a great job. Hey. So um, it was really fun to see it unfold. Yeah. Uh, we're waiting for her Emmy. I I'm telling you. Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of Johnny, I mean, there's so many recurring characters in this episode. We had Johnny, uh, Brant, Brackus, we had Jimmy, Tanner. Like, how in the script phase can you, like, say, okay, I want, like, every single one of these characters uh, in, and finding out that these actors are available for this certain – it seems like a, an extraordinary bit of timing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I remember with Ken Marino, it was a little bit iffy if we were going to be able to work things out as far as his schedule went. Um, Mm -hmm. So we were all really, really happy when it worked out because when the idea was pitched that he would be one of the clients, everybody was really excited about it. And that's (laughs) the worst is getting super excited about something and then finding out that the actor isn't available or can't do it. So that was really lucky. Um, I think everybody else, yeah, it just happened that everyone was available and kind of a really... I think watching this episode, you really realize that we've built a world around these characters now yes, in the yeah. same way that Rob did such a good job um, on Veronica Mars doing. It's like, oh, we have, you know, it doesn't take place in the fictional city, but we sort of see the world of Seattle and all these players that are in Liv and Clive's life. Um, and yeah, I, it was basically just pitching like who would be the most fun people we've seen already be a client. So Johnny Frost was obvious. Um, and then there's a few other people that we were talking about, but ultimately, like, we all love Ken Marino. And it felt like we wanted people that were a little bit upscale in terms of their career because we thought that um, Sweet Lady Payne was somebody that saw wealthier clients um, right. and that they would also be people who had um, reputations that they wouldn't want tarnished. Um, so that the, that would give them motive to murder her. Was there anybody that you were pushing for that it just couldn't work out? Uh, I think we talked about um, Rico a little bit, but mm-hmm. the reason we didn't end up using him is because he was directing next episode. Oh, um, right, yeah. So he needed to be on set. Um, he was, he was going to be in pre-production for his episode. So uh, we decided obviously like timing wise, that just wouldn't work out. <laughs> and, and then we had also talked about um, Chuck Bird, who you see, uh, oh, he's the, Radio DJ. Yeah, yeah, and we thought that would be really interesting because it would bring his show back into um, the narrative. Um, but then I think it was just the idea of getting to see Ken Marino. Um, <laughs> and once the schedule worked out, it just seemed like an obvious choice. But yeah, there's so many different people. And I had tweeted, like, who else do you guys think would have been one of her clients? I personally do think Von Duclark probably saw her a couple times. And <laughs> yes. then people people tweeted that Mr. Roth would have been a client. So I think it's just fun <laughs> to think, like, who are the other people that uh, proved Sweet Lady Payne's dungeon? Yeah. We'll yeah. never know. <laughs> it would have been funny if Kavanaugh was acting suspicious, you know, <laughs> during it. And it turned out that he was just one of – he went there like <laughs> once and got scared away or something. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah. I, I feel like if we would have had like an endless amount of people. Or DeVore. I mean, you never know. Women can go to dominatrices. So <laughs> the, the possibilities were truly endless. Uh-huh. And I like in this episode that Jimmy is in this, but he's not like just he doesn't play the like the couple times he's been in there. He's just been kind of freaked out by whatever personality that lives on. But this one seems to work for him. (laughs) Yeah, I have to give the credit to Diane Ruggiero for those scenes um, because they're so funny. And the line that kills me, too, is draw the nipples, Jimmy. We have to get T-shirts made of that. I'm telling you. so great and i think it was great because it gave those scenes such a funny arc too is mm-hmm. that um he starts out kind of freaked out by her and intrigued and by the end of it he's like totally into her mm-hmm. um so yeah that that dynamic is a lot of fun and uh jimmy does show up in another episode this season i'd love to see uh i think, a... I think he's in one more i don't know if oh, he's good. in more but there's some great jimmy stuff coming up <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to see a follow-up up about that because it's funny to see, like, uh, was it 
Tucker, the zombie bro guy, uh, Liv gets to see him again, and he's like, "You've changed," you know. <laughs> so, I wonder... oh yeah, Brody, I think it's oh Brody. Brody, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he because uh, when he meets her, it's in the zombie bro episode, and then he sees her again um, in a later episode last right. season, and he's like, "Yeah, I love that moment." And the way <laughs> people react to her when she's no longer on the brain that they've encountered is a lot of fun. Yep. Um, so, so, uh, was it, I think it was you that tweeted that the writer's room is obsessed with Tanner. Can you, can you tell us a bit about what, what the obsession with Tanner is? Yeah. Well, he first popped up in, um, even cowgirls get the black and blues. And Mm -hmm. I remember Rob referencing him in the room and saying, um, this guy, you know, it's such a bit part that he has, but the way that he did the scene uh, just really stood out to Rob and he really liked him. And then when we screened that episode, we were all kind of blown away by him. And he's just very kind of odd and he makes these odd, unexpected choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was definitely somebody that we wanted to bring back and somebody that comes up a lot in the room. And then it felt like it would be a ton of fun to see him interacting with Donnie because Donnie kind of he doesn't have Blay anymore. He um, doesn't like being under Angus's thumb. And it just felt like we needed to give him a sidekick again. And Tanner yeah. was the obvious choice. Dino is no fun. <laughs> so <laughs> Dino. Dino barely even speaks. So, uh, yeah. I mean, Chief didn't speak either, but he, he was a man of many texts. Yeah. And he played the, what was that? The scratch board. What is that thing called? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that totally reminded me of the uh, the banjo scene from season two when uh, Tanner and uh, Donnie were up on the bar doing air guitars. So yeah, exactly. I mean, it's always fun to see um, our zombie guys on various brains because there's <laughs> a lot of brains that we pitch in the room for live, and it feels like they're great, but they're not necessarily one you can make an entire episode out of. And right. so we can kind of use those for the other characters that we see in one or two scenes on a brain. Yeah, I'm gonna miss seeing a uh, uh, major on a brain. I, I, you know, that's too bad that that's kind of going away for a little while. Maybe I, you know, obviously. yeah, we're all really sad about that too. I think that's that was part of the issue in terms of well, how long can we really stretch out the major's yeah. dying thing until we give him the cure? But um, especially after seeing him on Teenage Girl Break, he was just so great and so funny. So that's definitely right. something that we were all sad to see go away. But <laughs> I think. Uh, the trade-off in the end was going to be worth it. Uh, I have a question from Harold here as a listener. He says he's he's just wondering your thoughts on how Fillmore Graves is going to react uh, finding out that Ravi has been sitting on a cure. Because Justin comes in and he's like, what? Cure? Hmm? Um, obviously, you can't tell us exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. but Yeah, I will say that there's some really interesting things that happen in the next episode. Um mm-hmm. And that's all I can say. Yeah. Climate change. Climate change. Uh, Kevin is wondering who are your easiest and hardest characters to write for? For me personally or for the show overall? Not for you. Um, Well, I will say I've never written Blaine. Um, He wasn't in my last episode either. Um, So I think that the idea of writing for Blaine makes me a little nervous because I just haven't yet. and then I think Liv is always an interesting challenge for everyone because she is on a different brain. So it always feels like you want to capture the essence of who she is. Um, but then also, how do you do that and get the brain across at the same time? So she's sort of a, you know, she's constantly shifting. Um, I think Clive is 
sometimes the easiest one to mm-hmm. not I wouldn't say necessarily the easiest one, but he's a lot of fun to write because so much of what he's doing is reacting to Liz's craziness and he does it in such a dry kind of a way. Um so it's always sort of fun to find new ways to play Clive. Mm-hmm. Um I will say, um Overall, everyone had a bit of a challenge. Like, we talked a lot about what this new kind of Blaine would be. Um, because old Blaine, um, pre-memory loss, is so much fun, and we didn't want to lose all of that by um, making him good. So it was just sort of like, how do you, how do we still have all of the fun of Blaine, but he's not evil anymore? Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit of a challenge, and I think that that was something that we discussed a lot, and then it was something that kind of had to find its footing along the way. Um, but luckily, like I said, I never had to personally tackle it myself. Right. Um, and uh, <laughs> how much should we worry about Harley Johns? I actually wanted to ask you specifically, is he a white supremacist, or was his mention of white power last episode just because uh, – Maybe Liv is looking a little pale. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think that he's necessarily a racist. I Mm -hmm. would just say he's anti-zombie. Right. Um, Yeah, that's, I think, the best way to describe him. Um, But I I think the actor that they chose for that role is really interesting. And he's definitely going to be somebody that um, we're going to see more of throughout the season. Uh, I think it's okay, okay to say that people should be worried. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, I mean, you can kind of take it from this episode, even. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, he's pretty ominous. Yeah, and he, he, what hit me in this episode, he just seemed smarter. Uh, you know, when we spend a little bit more time with him, out, you know, talking to Vivian and ha- be sitting across the table from them, you know, he just seemed a lot smarter than than he originally seemed like. Yeah, definitely. And um, you'll see more like um, he talks about his fellow travelers and um, this episode and his his world will open up a little bit more, too, as the season progresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Allie Machaka actually tweeted out, am I even in this episode? And the synopsis actually says Blaine and Peyton have a heart to heart. Was that like a, a, a typo or something or was there a missing scene? I think it was a typo. Peyton and Blaine were never in the episode. So I think. <laughs> It might be something that's actually in next week's episode. Um, yeah. And for some reason it was put under spanking the zombie. Um, but yeah, we, with Blaine especially, we only get him for a certain number of episodes a season. So we always have mm-hmm. to try and find places where we don't use him. And usually it's easier for us if that happens earlier on in the season versus later in the season. Um but yeah, I think we had talked even about maybe referencing like would they be able together or something, and then we just decided if it felt a little bit too soon in that relationship to be playing that. So they're off camera, and we don't know what they were doing. Yeah, they will be in the next episode. There was, I will tell you guys, um, there was one story that got filmed and didn't end up in this episode, which oh, really? was a lot of fun to write, um, but. We just didn't have room for it, ultimately. And it was, um, you know, there's an episode, I think it's the last one, where Angus tells Don E, we need to increase our clientele, like, go out and scratch people. Mm-hmm. And so there was a really fun little um, story in this episode where Don E and Dino go to this swanky bachelor party at this hotel. 
where it's sort of like the cast of Entourage, essentially, is um, <laughs> throwing a bachelor party. And Don E. brings the strippers. And, of course, the guys don't know it, but they're zombie strippers. And uh... so the next morning, Don E. comes back, and all the bachelors have been turned into zombies. Um, so <laughs> it was a really, like, fun thing to um, flesh out in the room. And, um, it yeah, hopefully it'll end up in, like, I don't know if they do deleted scenes on our DVDs, but I think it would be oh. a fun one for people to get to see. Uh, the, uh, t- I always hear about all these different like goofs and deleted scenes and barely any of them hits the DVDs. I feel, I feel so terrible about how, how it shows up on DVD. I'm, I'm glad to have Yeah, them, I but. wish we could like <laughs> post them to the CW website or something, but, yeah. um, yeah, cause, um, it was just fun to think of like who would Don E be scratching and it was, um, it would have been fun to see that stuff, but it's an embarrassment of riches sometimes on the show is that mm. we have so many things that we like that we want to be able to squeeze in and, um, ultimately it's funny because for us, you get so attached to stuff or so used to something being in the episode. And then when you do finally watch it, you're like, Oh, I didn't actually miss those scenes at all. I think the episode worked just fine without them. Um, I personally always feel bad for the actors in those scenes. Cause right. I don't know if they get told ahead of time, whether the scenes get cut. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing more of Donnie scratching people and making more zombies. And then actually you guys have mentioned too, in the podcast, um, an original in, in one of the drafts of the script, we do see him scratch Tanner and Tanner wake up the next day with like the white streak oh, in his yeah, hair. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had scripted that at some point cause we all love getting to see people react to the fact that they've been turned into zombies. Um, yeah. But I think that that again was something that we didn't end up having room for um, on the production side. And I think it's something that totally like, works with that it was almost funnier to just have that scene be like do you want to be a zombie yeah i want to be a zombie <laughs> yeah it seemed <laughs> That's really, all we needed. yeah totally um i was going to ask you uh speaking of uh, uh blaine and peyton earlier um are you a blatant shipper a, a pavi shipper or do you think that she should be with uh her earliest admirer who is uh liv's brother <laughs> <laughs> Um, little brother, that's definitely an interesting way we can go. The ones you're pairing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I like Pravi. I think I'm partial to Pravi. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe she just needs to, maybe she just needs to be single for a while. Yeah. That could also be a good option for Peyton. Oh, totally. Um, but, but yeah, I'm still, I still want them to see Vertigo together. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Is there uh, is there a standard is well basically is the standard procedure for uh, making up fictional countries in this show just kind of use the ones from the West Wing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's definitely all, Rob. I think I had some made up name originally scripted, and he changed it, and he said he's like, I just decided it would be funny to keep using uh, countries from the West Wing. <laughs> awesome. Uh, you tweeted that – well, actually, you mentioned earlier that you uh, you talked to Enrico on the set. I mean, of course, a lot of people know him as Keith Mars, like the ultimate dad from Veronica Mars. And he actually gave yeah. you some parenting advice. And I, I mean, I, I hate to pry, but being a parent myself, I'd love to hear maybe what that was or if you want to share, Ooh, if not climate change. Yeah, of course. No, he was, he was so sweet talking about his kids. And I mean, it was just – he was just telling me like – and it's so true. Everyone, you hear this a lot, but it was so sweet the way that he was saying how quickly it goes by and how to really like savor every moment. Cause mm-hmm. before you know it, I, I think his kids are in their late teens, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's true. I mean, I, my son's five and a half months and it's, 
feels like he was just born and I'm like, how are you already? Like, <laughs> you know, the little things that he can do on his own now that seem so miraculous to me. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's already going by too fast. <laughs> What's worse is now they have the Facebook memories. And so you actually see your kids from like years ago, just pop up occasionally on your timeline. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, I'm so old. Or <laughs> what happened? I can't imagine. <laughs> so true. How old are your kids? Oh, uh, well I have uh, a three-year-old and a five-year-old and I have uh, an 18 year old. So <laughs> I, oh, I have wow. the stretch. <laughs> That's so great, though. That's yeah. You get to watch it all happen all over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really. I was so excited to that he was on set with us. Um, so I was very starstruck, and <laughs> he was just like such a nice guy. Um, and his episode is a lot of fun. I think people are really going to love next week's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got to hang out with Keith Myers, so it really doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> Yeah, I was a little confused. I mean, doing uh, running up to season three and just looking at different production photos that people are tweeting on. There was a photo of Enrico and Ken Marino and Darren Norris standing together. So I was like, "Oh, that's cool. He's going to be directing them." <laughs> no, he was there on the set when <laughs> Ken and uh, Darren were yeah, there. Yeah, so. he was there. He was. Yeah, exactly. His episode was already in pre-production at that point, <laughs> so he was hanging out on set, observing a little bit. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was quite the reunion. Cool. Can you actually, uh, uh, can you tease anything that maybe we should start looking forward to? I don't know if uh, there's anything you can say. Um, Gosh, let me think what I can say without. It's so scary because we, um, the show, the writer's room wrapped in early December. Yeah. And it's been so long now that I'm. (laughs) And now I'm rewatching the episodes as they air, and it's hard for me to even kind of remember, like, what's coming and what you guys have already seen. Oh, okay. And also, like, what are the things I definitely shouldn't say because they have bigger ramifications. Sure. Um, I will say that I think it's safe to say that you're going to see um, a lot more of Justin mm-hmm. um, and that he is somebody that Liv is definitely going to have a connection to. Um and then, I mean, that's probably everyone listening is like, yeah, that's so obvious. <laughs> that <doesn't tell> us <laughs> anything. No, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else super dishy that I can reveal, but I'm scared I'm going to get my wrist. <laughs> no, please don't worry about it. Um, I was so scared. Actually, posting that photo of myself holding the live and major zombie <laughs> sex sign, I had to like really carefully look at the boards behind yes. me to make sure that there's nothing on there i'm like i know all oh we did too so. yeah I know, I know i'm like people are totally going to be scrutinizing these words um so yeah everything was stuff that had already aired but um it's fun being on a show though where uh even though it's a procedural you know most of the show is has so many serialized elements so mm-hmm. it's fun to have these secrets that i can keep from people yeah it's great <laughs> it's it's great to discuss too um for sure um well uh I just wanted to ask you one more question before we let you go. Um, the, the listeners actually might not know that you're a published author too. I, could you possibly tell us a little bit about your book, Never Ever? Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Um, that was a book that came out last year. It's a young adult novel and it's sort of my take on, I guess, um, when it was first going out to publishers, we were calling it Peter Pan meets Gossip Girl. Um, <laughs> so it's sort of an edgier uh, take on Peter Pan. And essentially, it's about um, three siblings that live in New York City, and they meet this uh, mysterious guy at a party. 
and they um, have a little after party with him on his boat, and they wake up the next morning, and he's whisked them away to this magical island where no one ages past. Another boat 17. party. <laughs> Yes, another boat party. Exactly. <laughs> no one go on boats. No, They're hey. so dangerous. <laughs> no, go on. Sorry. Um, yes, yeah, so and it's um, sort of uh, a lot of mysterious things happen along the way, um, mm. and there's a sequel to it that comes out um, next year. And then um, I also oh, wow. have a something very different, but um, early February next year, I have a YA memoir coming out about uh, my family. We immigrated to the United States from Iran when I was two years old, and we were actually uh, undocumented until I was 20. Oh, wow. So it's um, a story of growing up in the United States as an illegal immigrant, which is, you know, very topical. Very timely, days. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that comes out February 2018. Uh, yeah, it's a really nice thing to get to do um, on the side. It's very different than writing on a TV show where you're in a room with a bunch of other writers and it's really collaborative. And then writing a novel, you're really on your own, aside from an editor that's reading and giving you notes along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love doing both. Uh, writing for TV is, I think, a little bit more fun because you're around other people. Um, but it's nice to have another outlet as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting to uh, – you're doing this take on Peter Pan and uh, I wonder if, uh, you know, once upon a time people are uh, are listening and might want to snatch you up for an episode or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. It's kind of a risk you take when you do a retelling because on one hand, um, you kind of already have this built-in audience like people who love Peter Pan are inclined to check it out. But then on the other hand, people that are really attached to one version of the story um, – <laughs> tend yeah. to get really angry if you change it too much. Um, and so, and I took a lot of liberties. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people that were a little bit confused about the direction the story went in. Um, like my Tinkerbell character is basically like bipolar, <laughs> codependent. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it, it, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, but as a writer, I think it's always a lot of fun where you get to take a story that people are familiar with and uh, put a bit of a spin on it. All right. Well, um, I will put the link to it on uh, our webpage, but uh, I believe you can go to, is it sarasietywriter.com? Is that your website? Yes. I think that's what it is. I don't go on my own website very much, but I'm (laughs) curious for it. (laughs) Well, awesome. Uh, Thank you, Sarah, for uh, stopping by our podcast. We hope to have you again. uh, It was so much fun. Yeah. Do you you have any other episodes coming up? Uh, No, that's the only one this season. Uh Um, But, yeah, I'm I'm pretty lucky. It was the one that I got to work on. And um, I will say I think – just another tease. I think Tuesday night's episode is a pretty big game changer <gasps> as far as the rest of the season goes. So oh. make sure to tune in, everybody. Evil Major is coming, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll be happy because there's a couple things that you guys, um, like I said, had questions about that get um. answered in the next episode. So look forward to that. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm I'm so happy that you listen to the podcast because uh, that's great to hear. <laughs> Um, No, of course, you do such a great job. And thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Send your feedback to iZombiePodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Just search for iZombie Podcast, all one word. All of our contact info is on our website, iZombiePodcast.com. You can follow Steph on Twitter at Steph Smith. You can follow Robin as well at El Robinero. Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at Behance.net slash Deanna Sheehan. Also, a friend of the show, Cheyenne, contributes with Photoshops on our Twitter. Follow her at iZombieLove. Check out our other podcast. You can listen to us binge cast through teen dramas like Dawson's Creek and Popular. Just subscribe to We Don't Want to Wait on iTunes. You can also listen to us occasionally talk about the Buffy spinoff Angel with our friends. Subscribe to Redemption Cast on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, why not leave us a review? We do this in our spare time so your ratings and reviews are much appreciated and helps us get seen by more iZombie fans. And make sure it's on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. And we're done. You think anyone is still listening? Probably not. Zombies! Zombies!